If you're going to run a great business, you've got to have great people, and finding them is a huge part of that puzzle. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com has a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. It identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The right candidates are out there. You can find them, but ZipRecruiter is how. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. One more time, try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. Once you check out their interface and you see those candidates come right into your inbox, you're going to realize it's a great choice. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck you are entering the freedom hut a terrible shooting in texas at a high school we will try to diagnose what happened what could be done about it in the future and look into yet again another school shooting also a shooting at a trump-owned property uh, from somebody who obviously hates the president. We've got that and more from the deep state, my friends. It's a busy Friday. Stay with me. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Terrible shooting in Texas. Oh, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, my friends. I, I, you know, I'm I'm heartbreak heartbroken like all the rest of you are as well. Yet another school shooting. Uh, I had planned to come in here on Friday and just do kind of a, a wrap up of some interesting threads from the week and maybe some news of the day, but not this. Never this. So, so. Uh, depressing so upsetting and we know where the political debate is going to go right away so i guess we'll try to get a bit ahead of it but here's here's some of the uh the facts in case you you haven't had a chance to get fully updated you had a shooting started around 7 30 this morning central time at a, a texas school art class where a student named Dimitrios Paguzis, 17 years old, bust in and yelled surprise. He was armed with a shotgun and a pistol, both of which were legally owned by his father. It is not known if he just took them or if, he, if his father gave the guns to him. We'll find out more on that. Uh, Paguzis went on a shooting spree. Ten people are dead. Ten are injured as I go on on air here. And you had an uh, armed resources officer, a, a, a cop in the school, who did engage the, the shooter and took a bullet in the elbow for it. It actually, I believe, severed a major artery, so he had to go into emergency surgery. Um, but the good guy with the gun here did step up and do the right thing. Um, and that very... 
very likely, very probably save many, many lives in the process just by, by saving time, throwing the shooter off, engaging the shooter in the midst of his murder spree. Uh, the, much of this, uh, oh, by the way, the suspect is already in custody, uh, Pagortsis. He's in custody, and it was believed that he was going to kill himself based on what they found on his uh, social media, on his phone. That was the plan. Oh, and he also put some bombs in the school, placed some bombs, but did not kill himself, turned himself in to authorities, and he is now in custody on capital, on capital murder charges. Four, four pipe bombs found around the school as well. Uh, here are some accounts from some of the students that were there. Play clip nine. My friend said he saw some kid walking down the hallway with a gun or something, so he casually walked, and then he pulled the fire alarm. He ran out, and then he ran, and then everybody was outside, and then the teachers, uh, the teachers heard, you know, they were telling us to back up and everything, and then Vaughn told everybody to run because three shots, you know, heard. So we all took off in the back, and I grabbed her and ran to the trees because, you know, I don't want to be in sight, and then... Uh, I heard four more shots, and then we jumped the fence on some dude's house, and then we ran to the car wash, and then we were sitting there trying to figure out everything that's going on. And uh, I saw some girl. She had a, you know, she got shot in the kneecap, I guess, and she had a bandage around it. She was limping, and then firemen came and got her later, and everything. But other than that, you know, I, I honestly don't know. And I can only imagine how scary this was for you. What was going through your head? Just, just you know, living, <laughs> stressing, trying to get away. The suspect here, uh, Pegortsis, I think I'm saying his name right, but anyway, he is exactly what, if, if you were to draw up the, the kind of prototypical what kids said about him before, what we know about him, kind of a loner, liked to wear a long black trench coat to school, liked to wear a Born to Kill t-shirt, in fact, wore that t-shirt during this uh, murder spree. And had made some comments that were concerning, but people around him, I, I haven't seen anything yet. And remember, there's a lot more information coming in. There'll be new information that comes in about this. But he had no criminal history. Um, looks like the weapons, he might, have stole, he might have taken them from his father, but doesn't seem like there was any illegal, uh, any illegal weapons. Well, he can't, it depends, but depends on how he got them from his dad. Uh, but it wasn't like he bought them out of the back of a, of a car from somebody. Uh, we've got to see here what the uh, situation is with his social media profile. That's where we'll get, I think, a lot more in terms of insights into this. And now everyone's fighting over it right away. I found myself tuning out to much of the, the back and forth because we know that this gets, this gets politicized immediately. And the same arguments keep coming up. The same arguments. I mean, now we had, remember earlier in the week, you had an armed resources officer who managed to stop a mass shooting. So that, he stopped one. This time around, the resource officer stepped up, you know, engaged, fired shots, but wasn't able to stop the shooter. And took a bullet in his arm in the process. So, there's no, there's no cure-all. There's no panacea. 
and people who are going to say things, oh, we need to we need to ban. Well, now now what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about banning handguns and shotguns. So that's not going to fly. That's not going to work. Uh, I think you'll see much of the same conversation, much of the same discussion around background checks, around uh, mental health, but it doesn't really go anywhere because here's here's what I have to say about this. Uh, there's nothing that we can have the government do that will stop all these shootings. It's just not going to happen. And I know saying this right now might feel a little... Uh, people don't want... You know, a lot of people don't want to hear it. They're emotionally in shock, I understand, but school shootings are still a very, very rare occurrence in this country by the numbers. School violence overall is, in fact, way down from what it was even 20 or 30 years ago. So we are not in the midst of a huge spike. And I saw the the number of Peter today, people say, oh, there's 22 school shootings this year. They keep using these false statistics about how many shootings there are to try to drive a political agenda. But this won't go anywhere. This political fight that keeps getting renewed every time there's one of these shootings it's not going to result in the policies that the left wants it's not going to result in the changes that they think they can achieve by emotionalizing the debate by making this all about who wants to protect children and who doesn't we all want to protect kids there is not a single american of sound mind right now who doesn't want all kids safe in all schools we all agree on that how could this guy have been stopped, though? How could uh, Pagortsis have been prevented from going on this shooting spree? He is straight out of the uh, trench coat mafia playbook from the Columbine days. He is just incapable, I guess, of coping with day-to-day reality and life. And so he went after people. And he killed a lot of people. I don't have answers to your team. I really don't. I don't think anyone has answers. Uh, we have thoughts. We have analysis. We have the, the nation grieving. Um, but this is going to happen going forward. There will be these incidents. We can mitigate them. We can limit them. We can try to do everything in our power to stop them realistically. But I, I wish I could see another way. You're not going to have a, a mass confiscation of firearms in this country. You're not going to have a situation where uh, the Second Amendment is repealed. That's not going to be the case. And if you tried, I think you would magnify so many other problems beyond comprehension right now that we can just begin to get a sense of how bad that is. But another shooting. I mean, the president. The president spoke about it. I think and spoke uh, spoke well today. Play clip eight. We grieve for the terrible loss of life and send our support and love to everyone affected by this absolutely horrific attack. To the students, families, teachers, and personnel at Santa Fe High, we're with you in this tragic hour, and we will be with you forever. 
My administration is determined to do everything in our power to protect our students, secure our schools, and to keep weapons out of the hands of those who pose a threat to themselves and to others. Have to identify who the threats are. It's not easy. It's a lot easier said than it is to actually do it. So we'll see. Uh, We'll see what... Maybe there will be some legislation that comes out of this just because there's a sense right now that this is a problem that is uh, is growing over time. Whether that's true or not by the numbers, that's the perception right now. I I still don't see what the what the answer would have been. If the kid's nonviolent, no criminal record, never told anybody about and again, I'm assuming he didn't tell anyone about the plan or there 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 may be remember the first twenty four hours there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot of red flags that we find out about later. But this is where it is right now. Um, I, I, I wish I, I team. I wish I had an answer. I really do. Um, all I can present you with are the facts as I see them, and and also just share your sense of. It's just this just needs to not happen. These situations need to not happen, and we. I wish we could find a way as a society to stop stop it from happening. It doesn't just happen in this country. That's not true. It happens in other countries, as we know. It, there was just a mass shooting in Australia, actually. Uh, so that's not true. You'll hear that talking point a lot. You'll hear a lot of things that are based on politics and not based on facts and, and logic and reason. But they're also going to say that this is somehow, I'm sure, you know, related to this current era of toxic masculinity. And there are ways that to, to take a school shooting like this and tie it to any issue one chooses. And that's what ends up happening. For the political class, for people that make a living putting their thoughts out there and pushing agendas, uh, they'll find a way to make this about whatever they they think they can, and that helps them. So I, I'm really very much wanting to hear your thoughts on this. 844-900-2825, buck. Is there something we should be doing that we're not doing? Is there a policy fix or not even fix is the wrong word. Scratch that. Is there something that would be substantive and reasonable from a policy perspective, from a law perspective that could address this? I, I don't really think so, but here we are. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. Please. 844-900-2825. Give me a ring. Let me know, team. Uh, we're going to talk a little more about this, this issue. We've also got that shooting down uh, what was it in Florida? Uh, so we'll we'll discuss that as well. We've got we've got a lot of news today, my friends. We'll be right back. She called me. She said, "Mom, there's shots at the school." I thank God was not far away. Turned around, got here as quick as I could. Stayed on the phone with her. Told her to stay quiet to stay calm, to breathe. And just waiting and waiting and waiting and finally they were leading her out of the school. Thank God she's okay. I don't know how many people were shot. I was in the history hallway and as soon as we heard the alarms, everybody just, you know, started leaving, following the same procedure as we did because nobody thought it would be this. Nobody thought it was a shooting. Everybody just thought it was a, you know, normal procedure, practice, fire drill. 
And next thing you know, we just hear so many, three gunshots, loud explosions, and all the teachers are telling us to run, run, go, like run. Nobody should go through this. Nobody should be able to feel that in school. Young woman is right. Nobody should ever have to go through this or feel feel the the terror and the uh, the despair uh, that must have run through all those kids in that moment. Ah, man, I, I really do wish I wish that I could come to this with uh, a solution instead of just frustration. It's it's a tr- it's tremendously frustrating to think about this problem to see it happen. I, I mean, I I take the position that. One time is too many times, but okay, how do, we, how do we actually put that into effect, right? How do we achieve that? If one is too many, how can we make that our reality? And I, I don't know. Um, I feel like most radio shows, they have all the answers, right? Everyone's supposed to have all the answers when they go on radio all the time. On this one, I don't have it. I've got... I know what the answers aren't, though, and that's also a part of this process. The answer is not blaming the NRA, saying it's a terrorist organization. The answer is not confiscating guns for millions of law-abiding Americans. The answer is not repealing the Second Amendment. I mean, that not only are those bad ideas, I don't think that they are possible, really. I, I, I shudder to think, and I'm not trying to exaggerate here, get hyperbolic. Shudder to think what would happen if you did have, let's say, a Democrat majority come in the House and the Senate, and then you did have a Democrat win the presidency in the next election, and they said, you know what, we're just all guns. All civilian weapons are going to be calm. Remember, we're talking about a shotgun and a handgun here. As common usage as any any weapons you could possibly find. So... That's that doesn't seem to be a policy side of this. I, I do want to note that there was a, there was a hero here with the uh, the armed officer and a, Texas Governor Dan Patrick uh, spoke to this. Play twelve. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, the two officers were inside. This was the beginning of the school day early this morning. Students arrived around seven thirty. I don't know the exact time, but it was shortly after that. So I can't tell you precisely where they were on the campus. Uh, obviously, as kids arrived, they may have been outside, but they responded extremely fast. These two officers and the chief and the state trooper, uh, they may have saved another 10 or another 20. In other words, um, uh, the school training paid off. Having those armed officers there paid off. I think that this goes in the armed officers are uh, are certainly one one implement, one tool for saving lives here. Saved lives in Illinois, no question. I think very clearly saved lives despite the atrocity uh, that that occurred. Saved lives that would have been lost in addition today in uh, Santa Fe, Texas. So that's a re- and this is a solution that I was talking to you about. Many of you were were telling me this is what you thought should happen after the shooting in uh, in Florida and Parkland, right at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. So. That's a, that's, a, that's a real suggestion for saving lives. How many schools can we do it in? What should be the level of training? This needs to be at the, I think, the state and local law enforcement level could probably handle it better than anybody else. Uh, but we'll continue this discussion and much more. Please uh, give me a call. We'll be right back.
holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. You know, I think we need to do something. And I think the first thing we should do is there needs to be an announcement by every school district that we're going to defend our children and uh, that we're not going to have a sign outside that said we're defenseless. And I think that's the problem is that we do have these, you know, homicidal or crazy or mentally disturbed kids, but they still aren't so disturbed that they're going to shoot up the sheriff's office. They're showing up where there is no self-defense. And so I think the nation needs to wake up and we need to make every superintendent, every principal should be right now thinking, I'm going to make an announcement tomorrow that I'm not going to leave our kids undefended. As I was saying, I appreciate that uh, you have lit up every line we have here right away. And I know many more of you want your voice heard on this, too. So as we take calls, uh, we will be able to take more. I want to get a lot of voices in. It's a Friday show, and I like to take a lot of your calls anyway. But on this issue in particular, let's uh, let's Team Buck crowdsource this one. Let's see what we can come up with. Uh, Rose in St. Clairsville, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Rose. Wow. I'm talking to Buck. Wow. You are. Oh, it's already been discussed that nobody's implementing it. Well, maybe some places are. I would say one entrance, uh, metal detectors, like they have in municipal buildings. <laughs> Why not? How much extra is that going to cost? And uh, maybe ID cards. Uh, so it would cost the school board a little bit more money, but would you rather have a dead kid or a little more on your taxes? Okay. Now, Rose, those are, those are serious suggestions, but let me give you what I think would be the immediate, uh, counterpoints to them, right? Even if you have, uh, metal detectors at the school, as we saw from Parkland, somebody who's armed who shows up at the school can shoot their way in through that main entrance. Now, that doesn't mean it's... I'm not saying your ideas aren't good ideas. I'm just saying there are obvious uh, shortcomings to them in terms of an active shooter who has planned things out, who knows the layout of the school, knows r- routes of entry, routes of egress. Uh, one entrance, as assuming obviously the kids all have exits in case there's a fire or there's an emergency like a shooting... Uh, you you need to have as you need to have many more than just one for exits, but one entrance, I suppose. But keep in mind, there's a lot of schools across the country, and now you start getting into well, is everyone going to be mandated to do this? Is this a, you know, are, are we going to the same way that we allow states to have police power? Are we going to allow states to have their own, you know, way of approaching school safety when it comes to active shooter situations? I, I think that this is something that should be considered at least, right? That the, instead of thinking there's a one-size-fits-all, it's, well, what do we need in our area? What do the people need in their areas? Um, metal detectors obviously have been in schools in bad neighborhoods for a long time. And I shouldn't say bad neighborhoods, right? In high-crime neighborhoods. Uh, that's not new. That stretches all the way back to the 80s and 90s. Uh, I don't know if that would have stopped him. Anything else you've got on your mind about this? Well, I would think, like the municipal buildings, like our courthouse, I the person would have to be more than crazy to go there with a gun because there's an officer there as you go through the line through the metal detector, and uh, I, they they'd really have to be whacked out to even try, and they know it. Well, keep in mind this this seventeen uh, year old without any tactical training of any kind. 
you know, engaged a trained officer and, and God bless the officer for standing up and, and defending those kids. But it's not like this kid backed off just because there was an armed officer there. Right. So that's something else to keep in mind here that, you know, if you have a one security checkpoint at a school and Rose, thank you for calling in and shields high to you. Uh, if you have one place in the school where you can gain entry and that's where you also know there'll be at, there'll be a, an armed person right, to, to defend the kids, to defend the school premises. That's got to be your first target if you're a bad guy who's really thinking this thing through. That's got to be the way, that's going to be what you go for first. Um, all right. Uh, Horace in Columbia, Carolina. Hey, Horace. So I wanted to ask your opinion on it's kind of I mean, kind of what Rose was saying there with with metal detectors, armed security. What do you think is the biggest deterrent to us having more armed security and more metal detectors? Is it is it really just funding, or is it the ideology of gun control that that we always want to get into the same argument? We always want to push this stuff. Is it really just we do not have the funding to secure this? Because I, I, I find that hard to believe. I just feel like we could secure a school if we set our minds and our money to it and did it. Okay. So do you think it's money or ideology? I think that it's a combination. I think that to put armed guards in every school in the country, I think there are 100,000 uh, elementary and primary schools in the country, something like that. But producer Mike, make sure you fact check me on this one. Look, this is a mirror image of the discussion we had after Parkland, right? There are millions and millions of primary and high school aged children uh, in school across the country. It's, so it's a vast uh, amount of of real estate and personnel that you're trying to protect with armed personnel. Uh so there is a resource, there's a resource component of it. I mean, it would be very, keep in mind that, you know, that we have the TSA because of our, oh my gosh, we have to stop planes from blowing up reaction. And people will say the TSA is, you know, ham-fisted, intrusive, all that's true. I will also say, haven't had, although I know there was a disaster in Cuba today, but that was, I believe, plane maintenance. It wasn't terrorist act from what we know. Uh, we haven't had a U.S. airliner knock on wood, uh, get hit with a bomb in a long time and so the tsa is very large very expensive but it does work at some level and well i mean that's what i'm saying we seem to be able to just spend money willy-nilly anywhere else but we we can't do this we can't secure a school and keep someone from a gun from coming in i I just find that well i i feel like you've got you've you've got millions of of already trained uh, no longer active duty U.S. military veterans, uh, many of many of whom, a few million of whom have served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and look, I know a lot of them have, you know, they've gone on other careers and they're not all going to want to do this, but you have a pool you could draw from, I think, very easily of people who, uh, you know, you could you could create a program where you've got veterans that, look, it's not just that the veterans in the school, you know, checking IDs or things. I mean, you could have, you know, you got have veterans in the school that are doing school safety and security, but, you know, they're also, I don't know, coaching sports, teaching a class, teaching 
you know, the an equivalent of like a young a younger version of ROTC. I don't know. I'm I'm exactly. just throwing I'm throwing ideas at a board here, but I'm saying that I feel like there's something I feel like there's something there. And so, and so at, at a minimum at large schools that are considered high risk just because of the number of students, and now that's not gonna deal with all the problems, but at, in big schools where you have, you know, a thousand kids, fifteen hundred kids, just based on you know the the aggregate population. You know maybe that's a place where we want to consider the the program. And look, just I just feel like having having a veteran in the school. You know it's good for security. It's it's good also for the kids, right? I mean I just think that this is somebody that they can look up to and can can be more a fabric of the day to day life of a lot of these schools than just somebody who's standing there who's armed to protect them, which is obviously very important too. But I'm I'm now going. I usually don't do this. I'm giving you ideas that are not fully formed but i'm i'm just trying to work through it as we're on air together horace no so i mean then i i guess my your answer then is really ideology is probably what keeps this from going forward oh absolutely yeah i'm so i was looking at it from the resource side and and i and it is 100 percent the case that there are places where they just do not want they'll put teachers on tv you'll see them going on tv i'm sure in the days ahead who will say i don't want anybody with a gun in my school Meaning they don't want a good guy or good gal with a gun in the school. That's it. They don't want them because they think that guns in school sends a bad message. So, you know, even if the person's wearing a uniform, I mean, at that point, you're like, I don't want cops around. It's like saying, you know, I don't want military recruiting on my campus, which I would note a lot of the left felt that way for a very long time. Right. So, yes, there's an ideological component as well. Uh, I know that, you know, there, there's going to there'd be a lot of pushback to this. Uh, in in particularly very very blue states, very blue school districts, because as I've said, guns are a proxy for larger political debates. It's not never just sure. about guns and gun violence. It's always about who are the gun owners and what do the non gun owners think of the gun owners, right? That all and comes the into thing it. Is, it's just like you said earlier. You're maybe you push and you get a assault weapons ban, or maybe you get a high capacity magazine ban. You're never going to ban all weapons and go around and confiscate them. So this will continue to happen unless we explore another option. And it's like we just refuse to look at the other option. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and a kid who steals so a kid who steals his parents' guns, for example, how, how do we deal with that? I mean, you're going to have families are going to cohabitate. Obviously, I mean, we're not the Soviet Union. We're not sending our kids off to like little training camps somewhere. Not that they did that, but you know what I mean. Uh, you know, we're not. So we, we can't ban families from owning guns just because there are younger people in the house. So I don't really see how you get around this. But Horace, look, I, I appreciate it, man. You're, you're, you're thoughtful on this one, and thank you for calling in. Um, Brent, New Mexico. What's up, my friend? Brent um, in New Brent. Mexico, round two. There we go. Hey, Shield tie, man. Shield tie. Well, uh, now I, my point was, you know, the single exit, but, you know, the more I hear other callers talk about it, it does sound a little, because, I mean, you're put, basically putting the kids in a in a tunnel, you know. Common sense would be to start at the back of the line if you want to do it. So it doesn't seem kind of logical to just funnel all these kids through one spot. So while I was on hold, I kind of changed my mind about that. That's probably not a good idea, in my opinion. Do you think so? No, I, I worry about trying to use routes of ingress and egress as a security measure for schools because what you what you definitely don't want to create i mean i can just imagine a situation where um that then becomes part of the of the shooter's planning right so 
I mean, I can tell you that I know we're talking about high school kids here usually, but you know, terrorists, for example, uh, often do a kind of one-two punch scenario where they will set off a bomb in one area, knowing that there will be a rush of people into another, and then the primary charge is actually primed for that secondary location where they can create maximum casualties. And they'll even do it sometimes in a way that they're trying to attack first responders. So they'll delay it, knowing that people will gather, say, away from a building out on the street. They'll have a secondary charge there. So, and look, these are, not, these are not criminal masterminds we're talking about here with these school shooters, but they are people that know the layout. They are there every day, right? It, this, one of the problems here is that when you're talking to a school shooter, this is somebody who is, in effect, doing surveillance every day of the target set. And also has already infiltrated into the community. So no one's going to think that, you know, he and it's always been a he so far that he is uh, out of place or, you know, those things that like a school resource officer, for example. I mean, all the cops I know will say once you spend enough time on a beat, you get you kind of get a sense of who should be where. And you you just kind of pick things up. Right. You know that something funky is going on. Well, if the kid's there for school every day. Yeah. He wears T-shirts that have profanity on them and a long black trench coat. But. If he's there every day, you're not going to know when, you know, when day 2000 happens and he's all of a sudden a mass shooter. So it's it's a very hard problem set because of all those different factors. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, these kids know it better than the, most of the teachers. They know if the PE teacher goes and walks down certain hallway X during second period. They know exactly where all these people are. I mean, even if you had your your special – your uh, military personnel in the school they're going to know who those people are and they're going to know where they're they are it's just extremely good i was thinking maybe visuals like a smoke detector that uh, throws smoke into the hallways to where these these shooters can't see blind them but then how do the responders know who's bad and who's good i mean it's just extremely tough yeah i mean look we're, we're not realistically we're just we're not going to be able to have a swat team parked in every school in the country ready to go on a moment's notice and so that, you know, that's just, I'm not saying you're suggesting that, but there's just no, there's no way we don't have those resources. And, you know, the, the problem set doesn't lend itself to that as a solution. Uh, Brent, thank you for calling from New Mexico. Look, team, I, I want to take more calls. I want, I want to cycle through on this because your, your thoughts on this are, are so helpful. And, and I know this is, uh, I've got so many people listening that are current former law enforcement, current former military gun owners. Uh, who who just understand this, and so I, I like to hear from all of you as we're we're working our way through this. We'll also talk about this shooting in Miami at a at a Trump uh, you know Trump named facility by some some guy who's crazy. Um, and then we've got more more deep state stuff. I mean, Clapper's really let the let the cat out of the bag here. I think on what's what's coming, and it's what I've been telling you all along. By the way, Clapper just confirmed what I've been saying the last few weeks which is as we see how out of control they are with their spying, they will just double down on the spying was necessary. The spying was good. Uh, so if you're on hold, please stay. If you want to join in the conversation, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We will be right back. We got so many good calls. I want to get to them here. Uh, Stephen in Hinesville, Georgia. Hey, Stephen. 
So, Stephen, you've been a police officer 30 years. Yes, sir. Thank you for your call. What do you think about all this? I think you're putting another layer into the schools, armed layer in the schools is silly, because you have a, these people that you're going to put in, be they security, police, military, they have about as much chance of ever truly being necessary as they have winning the state lottery, because it's, it's statistically insignificant. What yeah, you have to do is arm people that are already at the school and have a job there that are there all the time and have another job or some other function at the school, not just a security layer that'll never really, odds are, never do anything. I, I mean, I started out, and I, look, I'm with you on the statistical uh, statistical reality of this. It just feels like there's going to be a push to do something. But look, you're right. I mean, we've got I millions mean, and millions of millions and millions of kids in school, and you're talking about in the worst the year with school right shootings now of a single person being involved in an active shooter at a school right now is about one in one hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, and and there, if you start looking at statistics, there's many things that are way more probable than that that are quite scary to happen like going out trying to get into a car any number of things right so steven look i hear you man and you've got real experience that you bring to the conversation so thank you for uh, putting us back on track with that one uh team we will take more calls on this i actually have some info on the mythology that may have radicalized the shooter that i want to share with you that's coming up I want to turn our attention to our sponsor this half hour, and that is Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, No matter what the weather's like, no matter where I am in the country or what I've got to do, Black Rifle is how I want to start my day. It is delicious coffee. It is small batch and roast to order. They've got different blends. You can buy it whole bean. You can buy it ground. K-Cups, the Black Rifle K-Cups are awesome. I love Freedom Blend myself because I love Freedom, but you can try any number of different varieties. And oh, by the way, they've got decaf now, too. Please go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Use the coupon code buck15. That's buck15 for 15% off. It's a great deal. It's great coffee. And consider becoming a subscriber. It'll get delivered to your house at the beginning of every month. You don't have to worry about ever getting coffee again. Have it taken to you, Black Rifle style. Blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Coupon code buck15. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make, Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The Parkland kids can claim credit for filling the streets of Washington, D.C. and and moving this issue forward. They move it forward in our consciousness, but I don't think our laws have changed. Every politician um, we watch that has a rating from the NRA scores pretty well. I believe Governor Abbott gets an A and Ted Cruz gets an A+. Yeah, that's not going to change, by the way. The Democrats can try to make this as partisan an issue as possible. Nobody wants dead kids. This is a very complicated issue. There are no easy solutions. There are no easy answers. And there already are a lot... You know, one of the problems of perception here is that there's already a lot in place. Massive law enforcement community in this country, um, gun laws in this country, mental health laws in this country, background checks for guns. All, all this is already there. We're already doing a lot. Right? This is It's not like this is the Wild West and there are no laws in the books that could do any of this stuff. And keep in mind, we just had a school shooting averted by law enforcement a few days ago. It just happened, right? But we didn't get lucky on this one, although it could have been a lot worse. The other one, I shouldn't even say lucky. We had we had a hero 
stand up. You know, not what we saw in Parkland, by the way, with those first deputies, uh, first deputy that was there. But nonetheless, I, I I found this interesting though, and I want to move topics. I know that this is not something that we should spend the entirety of our time together today on because there's only so much to be said at this point. But this I did think was worth just getting into for a moment. I I see these trench coat mafia style shooters. Remember, that's what they called themselves at the at the Columbine shooters, right? The trench coat mafia. Uh, there is a a radicalization that does remind me somewhat of what you see with the uh, jihadists. They really go down the rabbit hole of certain ideas and beliefs and uh, become very attached to them. And that also magnifies the feelings of isolation, the rage, the, you know, the feelings of, of impotence and, and worthlessness that they have. But the, the ideology only gets magnified by that, right? Or really they magnify each other. They're, Think of them like symbiotic organisms. They coexist and strengthen each other. But he had some very specific imagery, um, some of which I will tell you I'm, I'm just learning more about today uh, that I wanted to bring to your attention. He had on his, uh, on his coat that he took Instagram photos of, he had all these buttons. I, I don't mean buttons like to... I mean the kind of you know, political buttons you put on with a pin. And he had the hammer and sickle, obviously communism, you know, radical ideology, radical Marxism, or just Marxism put into practice. But he said the hammer and sickle equals rebellion. The, and this is, this is from his caption of uh, the pins that he had on his jacket. The rising sun equals kamikaze tactics. He was supposed to engage in this mass shooting and then kill himself. The Iron Cross, which people think of usually associated with, with Nazis, right? World War II, the Iron Cross. It's a German military decoration, but because of World War II, it's, it's since become uh, completely wrapped up in, in Nazism in most people's minds. So the Iron Cross equals bravery to this guy. Baphomet, which this is where you start to get a little more outside the box i mean we all know about we know you'd know the iron cross if you saw it a lot of you know more about the iron cross than than i do uh based on watching you know history channel documentaries uh but there's the iron cross the obviously rising sun kamikaze hammer and sickle but baphomet is a deity that is usually essentially tied to the occult and the uh, it's it's the goat head devil and the knights templar were were at one point said to be worshipers of baphomet and that was part of the uh the effort to destroy the knights templar but it's essentially satanism and the occult and it's this goat head figure with sometimes uh, sometimes in a pentagram also tied to satanism and then the one that, I mean, so that one I was, I mean, we're familiar with that one too, although Baphomet is a very specific uh, version of it, of the goat head evil deity, Satan, essentially. And then there was one called uh, Katolhu, uh, C-T-H-U-L-H-U, 
Katolhu is this uh, massive squid monster, kind of, that was created by the writer H.P. Lovecraft and put in a uh, in a pulp magazine back in 1928. And he is considered kind of an, an evil god. And he appears in some video games. Um, he, this is from, this is just off Wikipedia. Cthulhu appears as a monster in many video games. Uh, Terraria features bosses named after the character, and he appears as a main inspiration for the story of Call of Duty Black Ops 3 Zombies Saga. Um, I don't, I, I actually have never played any Call of Duty, so I don't know these, I don't know these things. Um, but yeah, Cthulhu is sort of a, a, is a character that is associated and he says Cthulhu equals power anyway. So hammer and sickle equals rebellion. Rising sun equals kamikaze tactics. Iron cross equals bravery and Baphomet equals evil and Cthulhu equals power. I mean, it's almost like he came up with his own extremism a la carte. He saw things in different radical violent, evil ideologies, Nazism, communism, Satanism, and had mixed them all together in his own, his own kind of witch's brew of ideas. And that coupled with all of the things, you know, that he's a loner, that he's quiet, the isolation, being mocked in school, people said he smelled bad. Uh, That all came together here. So, it's almost like he created his own evil ideology is what I'm getting at by picking and choosing from different things. Uh, and I learned what Katolhu was, which I was unfamiliar with before today. Uh, I want to take some calls on this, and then I, I do want to get to some of the other uh, some of the other topics of the day, including a, a stunning statement from former Director of National Intelligence, uh, Clapper. I always want to say Tapper, but that's the other guy that's trying to bring down Trump. Uh, let's take Colin in Ventura, California. Hey, Colin. Hey, Buck. How you doing? Good. Good. Hey, um, yeah, you know, this, this situation in Texas and in Florida is just, it's, it's just crazy. And we obviously don't have the answers. I totally agree with you. Um, but what we, what the first thing we could do is split up the administration from the security on campus. And what I mean by that is, our SROs, once once they go into campuses, they work, basically. Obviously, they're with sheriffs or local PD. But, um, you know, they're, they're there at the, at the beck and call of, of the school. And at, at some point, we have to separate those two because I was a canine handler for five and a half years, and there was a lot of times the schools would not even call us. They would use a, a private entity to use the dogs to look for dope. And the reason they did that is because they didn't want any ramifications. They didn't want the kids arrested. They didn't want them to go through that legal process, which I understand a little bit. But at some point, we've got to hold these kids accountable. And, again, I don't have the answers, but that's one step that we could start at. No, I, I look, you've got as many answers as anybody else, my friend, and you actually have experience in this from the law enforcement side. So, um, yeah. I, I think that's that's something that's certainly worth consideration as well. And, and Colin, I appreciate you calling in from California. Shields high. Uh, Bakur in Mississippi. Am I saying your name right, sir? Yes, uh, that's correct. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, 
a long-time listener. I appreciate it. Thank you. So what's on your so, mind? Uh, well, I just wanted to uh, kind of enlighten the people uh, about a few things that... So I was born and raised uh, when I was a child in uh, Soviet Georgia. And uh, I remember, first of all, the weapons were like obviously... Uh, off limits unless you were law enforcement or military, but like uh, my grandpa owned like shotgun, and it was big deal to own a uh, shotgun or anything like that. And uh, one thing to get the weapons back then, uh, you know, Soviet uh, Soviets got a lot of things wrong, but one thing they got wrong, you know, I mean, correct, uh, correction or all right, is there, it was a prerequisite to get any weapons. Besides the going to, uh, before you purchase a weapon, you had to go check with the, do full medical checkup and especially make sure you were not on list of uh, any kind like, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Be, you know, but, you know, Bakur, they do, they do that in a lot of states. I mean, Connecticut, for example, is a May issue state, and you've got to have a sit down with the local sheriff or local police department chief and have a chat. And, you know, so there are places in, in this country where they already do that. Correct. So, uh, uh, but uh, but not all states, obviously. And the uh, yeah. second thing they would do is you had to actually physically check with the police uh, department. You had to get all these papers from these organizations to come to a gun store and purchase your gun. But one thing uh, they would also require is to, they would have like little districts. And these little districts would be like, one for uh, Sharif, or back then was militia, they called militia, assigned one person that was charge of whatever district. And he knew everybody. Uh, he had to actually physically come in and verify if you owned safe. And uh, actually had to write the, you know, a little memorandum and give it to you. And you had. So, okay, one, but uh, Bakr, I, I need to move us to a conclusion here. So, so you think that there should basically be more checks on people before they can get a gun. So you want additional gun uh, gun control legislation. Is that fair to say? Well, uh, well, I'm saying that, uh, for instance, I'm an active duty military, and uh, there's, as you know, there's so so many kinds of security. CompuSec, OpSec, and there is physical security. So you got to have safe in each dwelling that owns the gun to keep the guns from kids. It's a lot easier to go grab the gun from the drawer or somewhere than actually crack the safe or something like this. So yeah, so so weapon weapon not, safety not, in the home is certainly something else that could be discussed. I think. I mean, people should look. I, I you know, people are going to say, well, what if I have a home in, in Bakur? I appreciate your service and your time, sir. But I, I gotta I gotta move on. We got a lot of a lot of people lined up to to chat. Uh, thank you, though, sir. I you know, people are going to have a, a problem with locking up their guns because okay, it's the middle of the night. I hear something crash through the back door or, you know, one of the windows gets broken in. Now I got to play like safe cracker. Like I'm the pink Panther or something to get at my gun. Hmm. It's going to be a problem. It's going to be an issue. Uh, we actually have to roll. Okay. We got to, we got to, we'll, we'll come back and, uh, and I'll try to take, some, I, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor this. I think it's a really important, really interesting discussion, but there are other things to discuss as well. Why don't we do this? I'll, I'll come back and tell you about this shooting at the uh, Trump property in uh, named for Trump, not Mar-a-Lago. It wasn't actually near the president, but a property named for Trump in Miami. And then, then we got to get into Clapper's comments, the latest with the deep state stuff. 
Because we are we are heading for a, a real reckoning with the level and intensity of the spying against the Trump campaign. So that that and more is uh, is coming up. Stay with me. So another shooting, this one in Miami at the uh, National Doral Golf Resort, which is owned by the Trump company. And this guy, Odai, uh, who's 42 years old, this just happened today. This is is crazy, too. This guy, Odai, uh, walks in to the Doral Resort. Pulls down. He's like a, a weightlifter too. He's a guy like all he does work out all the time. He uh, Jonathan Odai is his name. He walks in, pulls a American flag down, drapes it over a counter in the lobby, pulls the fire alarm, and then gets into a gunfight with five cops. Uh, nobody was hurt except for except for Odai. Uh, and he was yelling anti-Trump rhetoric. We don't—I didn't see specifics for this, but he was yelling about how much he doesn't like Trump. So there's that. Um, and that's what we've got here. Uh, I don't really have much more on this guy other than just what a what a wacko situation. He, so he didn't kill anyone. He didn't hurt anyone. He got shot. They shot him in the legs. The five cops that responded. And he, I think he fired, uh, Bruce or Mike, did he, he fire off a bunch of rounds? I think he was firing off a bunch of rounds before the officers got there. He tried to set an ambush, the authorities believe, for cops when they arrived. This is some kind of, of bizarre, like, anti-Trump terrorism, I guess. Right? I, what, else, what else could we call it? He's going after law enforcement, stating a political intention. And this is where people always go, oh, what's terrorism, what's not? When, when you are doing something for a political motivation or ideology, when you're committing violence for a political motivation or ideology, that is uh, terrorism. That's the classical definition of terrorism. So this guy is a, he's a domestic terrorist. Didn't kill anybody. Uh, he didn't even get killed. But you know, it's hard not to look at this and think, all right, uh, another guy who probably believes the constant stream of media coverage that suggests that President Trump, Trump is a, a Manchurian candidate, that he's a traitor, that he was uh, in cahoots with Russia, that he has subverted democracy, that he's a threat to the republic, etc., 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 all of that. Uh, remember, we had the guy who was the uh, Bernie Sanders devotee, who tried to kill as many conservative members of the House of Representatives as he could at a baseball diamond in Alexandria, not far from where I am right now. He had taken to heart many of the, the criticisms of Republicans as you know heartless and cruel and all that other stuff that is constantly magnified in the media. And here you have another one. You know, th- this is, I suppose, a reminder in some sense that, you know, there are there are people who radicalize from all different all different walks of life, all different backgrounds and, uh, you know, ideologies. And, you know, there are right-wing terrorists, there are left-wing terrorists. But there are some that occur with greater frequency than others. And 
you know, you, you can start to crunch the numbers on this. I mean, globally, nothing really compares to jihadism in terms of terrorist activity and, and, a, and an ideology that spurs violence. But there are others. We just had this guy before who was kind of a, we're talking about him, I mean, um, the, the Texas shooter who had a kind of almost like a fantasy, um, fantasy Satanism, Nazism construct that he had come up with or that he at least uh, was enamored with those different symbols and, and ideas and, at some level. Uh, look, it's, uh, this is where I, I again, I, I don't have the answer. It's a crazy world. you got crazy people in it. I'm just good that law enforcement responded so quickly and nobody was, uh, nobody was hurt who was innocent in this situation. And good for them, by the way, for managing to take, the, take down this threat and not having to, you know, they managed to eliminate the threat without putting a whole bunch of round center mass on this guy. So they used less than lethal, lethal force in a situation where lethal force would have been completely justifiable. Uh, definitely a testament to their training. Um, let's. I, I want to move on, though, to talk about Clapper, because this Clapper thing is its big, and we'll talk about it. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. I'm pretty sure, team, that I've been telling you for a while that as we find out the true depth of the scheming and the deep state spying against the Trump campaign and then the administration, I'm pretty sure that they would just turn around and say, well, yeah, of course. I've been saying this for a while. If you listen to the show, you know that there will never come a moment at which they say, you know what? We went too far. It's not going to happen. In fact, I would even take it a step further from what we've already seen, including the illegal leak of Michael Cohen financial records by a government employee, the illegal leak about General Michael Flynn's phone conversation with Russian ambassador Kizilyak. With all, with, with all of the evidence we already have about what the other side is willing to do, even if it came out, and I, don't, I think that this won't really happen, that there was a bright red line violation of the law in order to go after Trump, there will be a tremendous campaign among the entirety of the media, the Democrat, I mean, well, mainstream media, and the Democrat Party to justify it and say that these were extreme measures under extreme circumstances. There was a clear and present danger, and that clear and present danger was Donald Trump. I've been saying this for a while, and I've thought to myself, Buck, are you pushing this too far? You know, you always have to recheck your assumptions in this business. You don't want to be the guy who's always yelling about how any day now this crazy thing is going to happen. You yell it for years and years, and then maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but you've been... You've been saying that the world was going to end tomorrow for the last 10 years, right? You don't want to be that guy. And you don't want to overpromise. You don't want to overestimate or poorly evaluate. But I got to tell you, after what James Clapper said, I'm feeling pretty darn good about what I've been saying on this thing for a long time now. Here is the former director of national intelligence on the issue of uh, Trump's Watergate tweet where Trump, Trump was like, this is worse than Watergate. Here's what the former director of national intelligence, technically the highest intel official 
in the United States government. Here's what he said. This is uh, hyperbole. They may have had someone uh, uh, who was talking to them uh, in, uh, uh, in the campaign. But, you know, the focus here, and as it was with the intelligence community, is not on the campaign per se, but what the Russians were doing to try to, to instantiate themselves in the campaign or to influence or leverage it. So if there was someone that was observing that sort of thing, uh, well, that's a good thing uh, because the, the Russians pose a threat to, the, to our, the very basis of our political system. Mm. And I think it's hugely uh, dangerous if someone like that is exposed because uh, the danger to that person, not to mention the reluctance of others to, ser to be informants for the FBI. And the FBI gains a lot of valuable information from uh, informants. He's saying that the spying was a good thing, as long as it mostly focused on Russia. Can I just tell you all that, you know, the Obama administration, President Obama, his top people, they had meetings with foreigners during the campaign. They were talking to people who have connections to foreign intelligence, who have connections to adversarial governments, if not worked in, you know, for foreign governments and worked for, you know, uh, adversarial intel agencies. Or We, we don't know. We just don't know. But would it have been okay if the Bush administration, FBI, put somebody in the campaign or in close contact with the campaign in order to report on their dealings with foreigners? My friends, this is just outrageous. This is straight-up police state stuff, no question about it. And it is... I think for many of us, a little bit of a shock, a little bit of a, 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 a wake-up call that not only are our worst fears about what the Obama administration, intel apparatus, and law enforcement agencies at the federal level, what they were willing to do, but now how brazen those who are either involved or cheering it on are going to be about what happened and about how it was necessary. And I, and I can't help but take a moment to remind you, and I, I probably should have told Producer Mike and, and John to, uh, to pull some of this. That's on me, guys. I meant to do it. I forgot. If you look at what was going on a year ago, if you look at what they were saying about spying and about all of this, they were not just denying that there was spying on Trump. But you had people in smug, self-satisfied monologue after monologue, going on TV, going on as guests, hosts, all the above, that were just like, Trump is a crazy person for saying that they had him wiretapped. Now we find out not only was he wiretapped or people around him wiretapped, using spying powers as part of a counterintelligence investigation, not a straight-up criminal investigation, so they did that for a reason, and it's because it gives them much greater latitude, much greater discretion on these matters. But not only that, they may have been running a human source as well. They had a straight-up spying operation going against Trump and his contacts or his, his personnel's contacts with anybody who's, like, ever been to Russia. I'm Carter Page, folks? You, how would you feel... 
if you had had contact with Carter Page because he was a low-level Trump guy and he wanted to see if you know he could get a meeting or if you would do some organizing for Trump, and you find out that that communication was monitored by the federal government because they think that Carter... Really? Oh, here's an even better one, folks. If Page and Papadopoulos, who they're still really hinging this whole whole case on, if Page and Papadopoulos are such bad guys, why hasn't either of them... Not only have they not been charged, no one has even been willing to come forward and suggest a charge that could be brought against either of them in an indictment. So it's not even like we're not sure we can prove it or they don't even know what the criminal activity is. And now we get into the truth about a counterintelligence investigation based on Clapper, Tapper, all the rest of them out there and what they say is okay here, which is some people in the government who, by the way, are political appointees, folks. John Brennan is a close friend of the Obamas and was appointed by President Obama. Okay? Uh, We know Comey is a Comeyist, but he's also a a politician with all the trappings of a law enforcement official. And as you look at this and you see the, the... extent of the authority they take for themselves based on a whim, based on suspicion, a gut feeling. How could we not now uh, guarantee that any journalist who has ever talked to somebody in the intelligence community abroad, you know, not in here even, but that too, maybe, but abroad, somebody who talks to foreign intelligence, somebody who runs sources in foreign governments, somebody who's had sit downs with People in foreign terrorist organizations to report on what they believe and what they say, what they're doing. Is it okay for the FBI to monitor all of their communications as American citizens? Is that is that all right? We're good with that? Oh, oh, wait, wait. They, would, they wouldn't want that because journalists. So you're telling me that there is a degree of discretion that has to be applied here there is a judgment call it's not just yeah we got an interest in this so we're just going to start using fisa courts to pull people's communications that that would be a problem with the journalists okay i think that we could even get democrats to agree on this by the way i think that if i could and by the way they'll never have me on i'd smoke 95 percent in a debate of all these people you see on tv on this issue so they'll never actually let me debate any of them i offer all the time never happens it's actually one of the strange things about my career I'll go on anywhere and debate anyone. So rarely does it seem people like to have me on TV to give my opinions and knowledge on things. So rarely, though, do they want to put me in a debate with anybody of any stature on the left because it doesn't go well for them. And you don't really have much in the way of cross-pollination of folks from different networks. Anyway, that's a, that's a rant for another time. I'm just saying I'll debate anybody on these issues. They just won't. Nope, there are a lot of... Lot of I mean, they won't do it. They used to duck. There were people. You want me to name names? I can name names. Uh, there were people at, at CNN who would be scheduled to debate Hillary's emails with me, and then they would always mysteriously drop out. And there were, and then they'd just have on a legal expert who would kind of disagree with me, but not really take the full on, because everything I said was correct and proven correct in time. And anyway, this is how the game is played. But... I think I could even get Democrats to agree that it would be a problem to use FISA spying against journalists, even though I could very easily come up with a rationale to do that. 
this guy's talking to agents of a foreign power. He's a journalist. You know, maybe he's passing along sensitive U.S. information. You know, may, and and I'm not saying that that's never going to be okay, that you would never do that, but I am saying that there would definitely be a hesitation. Since we have established that, how can anyone, Comey, Brennan, Clapper, how can any of them with a straight face tell the American people that there shouldn't be an even higher bar for spying on an actual active political campaign that is one of two options for the next president of the United States. You're going to tell me that this didn't set off some, hey, you know, maybe we should have greater uh, scrutiny applied to the decision to use a FISA warrant here? Or to... Come on. They did this because they could, because they wanted to help Hillary and defeat Trump. That was what this was all about. They did this because Trump represents an ideology that is a threat to bureaucrats who have amassed way too much power. And there has been a split, a schism, between Democrats on the left who view the ends as all that is necessary. The the ends justify the means in any political issue, and conservatives who sit around espousing principles but often losing the fight. Finally, Trump comes along and is like, you know what? We're we're not going to allow the other side to just dictate the future of this country, culturally, politically, and otherwise. And that was a threat to the left. That was a threat to people who had risen in the bureaucracy being spoon-fed from a very young age all these beliefs about progressivism and about the, what the elites, what the well-educated in this country are supposed to believe. And Trump was a threat to all of that. He was a threat to their power. And so some of them decided within their discretion, within their powers uh, allotted to them as government officers that they would do what they can to try to try to think about this all it would have taken is one one truly damning comment even from trump on on some phone call that they or or email from one of his advisors about what trump said or you know you just you can come up with any number of variables here that would have absolutely kneecapped his campaign done you're going to tell me they didn't think that they would get something like that? And then it would just leak, like the, like the Kizilyak Flynn call leaked. We, we found that person? No. This was a, fish, a fishing expedition. And then it turned into a cover-up as well as vengeance, right? You've got, to, you've got to go on offense to prevent the other side from finding out what really happened, hence the, special, the need for the special counsel with Comey and all the rest of it. But Clapper has shown us what's coming, folks. No matter what we find out, the left, the Democrats, and the deep state will claim it is justified because Trump, no matter what it is. So just prepare yourself for that. We'll be back in just a moment. Uh, this idea that maybe President Obama ordered an illegal wiretap of his office's If something like that happened, would this be something you would be aware of? I would certainly hope so. Uh, I I can say, obviously I'm not, I can't speak officially anymore, but uh, I will say that for the part of the national security apparatus that I oversaw as DNI, there was no such wiretap activity 
mounted against uh, the president, the, the president-elect at the time, or as a candidate, or against his campaign. The FBI, for instance, had a FISA court order of some sort for a surveillance. Would that be information you would know or not know? Yes. You would be told this. I would know that. If there was a FISA court order yes. on something like this. Um, something like this, absolutely. And at this point, you can't confirm or deny whether that exists? I can deny it. There is no FISA court order? Not, not to my knowledge. Of no. anything at Trump Tower? No. Well, that's an important uh, revelation at this point. Okay, nothing at Trump Tower, maybe. But kind of kind of dishonest, isn't it, folks? Dishonorable. Get up there and say, oh, that's crazy. No, I can deny it. Yeah, what about what about people working for Trump? You got that mic'd up? Interesting, isn't it? That's that's Clapper's version of truth. This is going to turn into a, a political brawl. No question about it. More so than it already is, because I think reputations and maybe even some people's freedom will be on the line as this goes forward. We'll see. Uh, you got uh, Giuliani, who is cracking knuckles on TV, ready to go. Giuliani against this is like Giuliani against Cuomo. It's like, hey, hey, who's the who's more of a tough guy, Giuliani or Cuomo? And they got into it a little bit here. Play clip one. Does the president ever get the benefit of the doubt with you, Chris? Oh, ever? Really? Or on this network, which is disgusting? I, actually, I would tell you something. I think he gets the benefit of the doubt much more often do you know, do than you, know, you do give you know, credit for. Do you know that m- most people think that I'm crazy to come on here? That, that it's Why? so unfair to the president? That do you think this gonna... interview has been unfair? Yeah, I do. You think this interview Absolutely. has been unfair? Absolutely. Why? Because I don't think you've given me a chance to explain uh, how unjust this, this case is. I don't think you've given me a chance to explain the basis of it with the FBI report that was faulty. The FBI report that came to the conclusion. I, I don't understand how a man can be prosecuted when you come to a conclusion and do anything wrong. Yep. And it gets it gets better. Play clip two. It's only a perjury wow. trap I never, if the I, president won't tell the truth. I, no, and, no. Oh, God, Chris, that's not true. And you should have more faith that's not true. in Chris, those men and Chris, women, especially when you've said they're the it best people that you've ever worked with. It is not true that a perjury with. trap is when, it's just when you're not telling the truth. A perjury trap is when you get somebody to lie about what you're telling the truth. Which is, the president would testify tomorrow if it was about the truth. The truth is, he had nothing to do with Russia. I love that Cuomo's like, hey, just don't lie. That's what a perjury trap is. Don't lie. Hey, Giuliani, you even lift, bro? What's your bench? Yeah. Giuliani knows what's up. He knows what time it is, as they say. All right, we got uh, a big third hour coming up here. I'm going to tell you just about, I'm just going to tell you about some, a life lesson that I had. That I'm reminded of as I'm down here in, uh, in the swamp looking for a place to live. And we're also going to do a whole bunch of roll call. So that's going to be exciting because it always is. Uh, thank you so much for staying with me to this point, team. We've got a big, big third hour coming up. But uh, I want to tell you about our sponsor this half hour. Global Verification Network is focused, reliable, and secure. Whether you're an employer, a property manager, or a financial company, you want to go to Global Verification. They are a veteran-owned small business dedicated to expert delivery of high-quality screening services, and Global Verification maintains a service-oriented culture. They deliver measurables to to their customers around the globe. This is veteran-owned and operated. They are the best in the business. Please check them out for yourself, and you will see. Go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179, 877-695-1179. 
They do not outsource any of their work. They're all here in the States, and they keep your information secure. Go with whom you can trust. Global Verification Network. Leave no stone unturned. So I'm looking for uh, a place to live here in the, the District of Columbia. Um, and, and next week, team, I'll be able to tell you all about why. I thought it would be this week, but it has gotten a little bit, a little bit pushed back once again, as these things tend to do. It's a very exciting project. Uh, there will be, if you want, more opportunities to hang out with Buck uh, in your day-to-day news deep dive. Uh, that, that's a hint, I think, as to what's coming. Obviously, I'm already doing three hours a day of radio, so it's not going to be a radio show. I already write sometimes. I should write more, but I got a lot going on. So it might be in the video realm. We could say that. But uh, I'm looking for apartments, and it's funny because my first, the first place I lived in uh, in Washington D.C., I remember, uh, I remember showing up to that apartment, and it was a tiny little studio. I mean, it was the the bare minimum efficiency kind of apartment, right? A little box with a tiny little alcove and a bathroom in it. I don't even think, maybe it was 400 square feet. It was probably sub 400. I mean, it was really small. And uh, yeah, like 350, I would guess. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? You know, that first night when I didn't even have a, I didn't have a bed. I just had a, a mattress that I was sleeping on on the ground. because so I hadn't really figured out my whole move situation. And then I, I bounced around DC over the, over the years. And I'll never forget. So... You know, this is just one of these buyer beware situations, right? So I, I had this buddy, and he says, "Hey, I'm leaving New York, and I know this family, and there was a whole bunch of complicated reasons why, uh, why he didn't want to keep the apartment, but he wanted, or why why they weren't in the uh the house actually." And I won't get into those had to do with a gift and a university and a, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. I didn't concern myself with that, but he just said, look, it's a great basement apartment, which very common in DC. A lot of people rent out their basements as a income producing asset. And he said, and I was 23, 24 years old. And he said, you go live in this basement apartment and you're going to love it. Right. And it was, I think the, I think I was paying now some of you are going to say, Oh gosh, that's depends on where you're in the country. I think I was paying a thousand dollars a month to live there. And it was, it was a huge apartment. It was the entire ground floor. It wasn't really a basement. It was the entire ground floor of this house. And I would drive by this house. But, it, you know, it was all, all kind of like on handshakes. I never had a lease. Ne- and I know some of you are like, uh-oh. Never had a lease. And, and I was told, well, you'll live in the basement apartment, but the rest of the house you're free to use as long as there's no other tenant there. So I said, oh, okay, because all there was was a door leading down to the, the ground floor level, and I could go up and use the rest of the apartment. And I would drive past on my way home, because you know, my tiny little efficiency, I felt like you know, I wanted more room. And it was really, really small, right? It was also, and these are the things you learn when you look for an apartment, it was above the trash compactor for the building. It was a big building. And so every morning at like 5 a.m., Kaboom, kaboom. I mean, the metal just banging around and everything outside. It was, an, I was right above the trash compactor. It was the worst, cheapest apartment in the building, which is all I could afford. So 
Uh, and you know, I was probably paying about a thousand, eleven hundred dollars a month. This is two thousand five, two thousand six, or to live there. But I would drive past, and this house, it was in Georgetown. This house I was going to move, in, and the house is beautiful. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a dream come true. I'll be living in Georgetown. Uh, I'm going to be working at Langley. Nice, easy commute. This is going to be great. And I drive past the house, and I just had this feeling. And it's a feeling that's returned sometimes. And whenever I suppress it, and this is maybe part of my buck wisdom, or rather buck scars that I don't want you to have to repeat after me. You know, you don't, I don't want you to stub your toe after I've stubbed my toe. That, that old thing about if it's too good to be true, it is. One of the most important bits of wisdom in life that, that any of us can ever have. It's always true. That it's, if, it's too, if it is really too good to be true, it is not true. And we all need to remember that. We all need to be very much aware of that. So I would drive past this house. I'm a young guy. I got like no savings. I'm making very little money. I live in it. But I think, you know, it's a cool job and I'm kind of excited about it and everything else. I drive past this house. I drive past this house. And it's just because I, I had to give them like a 60 day notice via email that I was going to move in. And then they, you know, and, and I gave them the date. But the house had been empty all summer. I mean, the whole summer. So I must have moved in in maybe the first week of, first or second week of August was the plan. But June, July, I would just, because the house was on my way home, I'd drive past the house and say, oh my gosh, this is going to be so great. It's going to be amazing. You know where this is going. And I finally, I get like the cheapest movers I can get to help me with some things. There are these guys that, it's two dudes in a van. It was what it was, two dudes in a van. And we, uh, we go over and, and move my, basically my bed. I mean, the, move, the whole move took like less than an hour. It was, it was like a bed, a couple of dressers. Probably could have done it myself. But, you know, I, I thought I was going to be a boss for the day and actually hire some folks to help me. And I, I finally get set up. And I'm like, life is going to be sweet. I'm going to be all set up in this house. I'm a young guy. I'm single, ready to mingle. Georgetown, working CIA. Everything's going to be awesome. I go to work that day. And I just had a weird feeling like something's going to be, I don't have a lease. I'm like emailing someone who's emailing someone about this house. I don't have a lease. And sure enough, I come home. It's my first, I think about this, my first day after moving into this place. Okay. I, I come home from work and I, all I can think about is I'm going to go sit in the, in the yard and there's this, there's these nice kind of Adirondack style chairs out there. And I'm just going to chill and it's going to, life is good. But I had this weird, like, is this really all going to work out the way I think it is? I've been moved in for 24 hours and I pull up and I actually can't see the house because there are two of the biggest moving trucks I've ever seen in my life. Two of them parked in front of this house now blocking the driveway where I was supposed to be parking my car, blocking the front of the street so you couldn't even park in front of the house. And I'll never forget, I, I, I have to park like down the block and I walk up to this house and I know it's going to be bad. And this woman comes out and she has two children with her. She turned out to be kind of the au pair nanny. And I'm walking towards the house and she goes, I'm sorry, who are you? I said, oh, I'm, I'm the tenant lives in the basement and she goes we weren't aware of any tenant in the basement and i'm looking at this lady with her two like a, like a two-year-old and a four-year-old and of course one of them is Mah! 
ah, crying. And I see all these workmen, and they are uh, these moving guys, and they're just loading up this place with, with furniture and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, and I was like, how many? And they're like, well, there's going to be like five or six of us living upstairs and, you know, the whole thing. And, oh, by the way, they were doing a complete remodel on the house next door. So not only did I find out in that day that I now had neighbors who, by the way, were, and I tried so hard, they were horrifically rude, snooty, terrible people, okay, really nasty, awful people. And I could tell you the stories as to why. I mean, just bad neighbors. I, you know, the whole thing, I was like, well, I just moved. I didn't have the money to move again. And, you know, I didn't have the 500 bucks to move again or whatever. <sighs> and I was stuck in this house and I could hear, there was all this hammering next door, kids crying upstairs and they didn't want me there. They made that very obvious. So I have my own entrance and exit and stuff. It's not like I was a roommate, but man, that whole thing went south in a hurry. And it was a real character building experience. But it was also, I just have that memory of any time you are looking to move, you're looking to live in a place. And I try to apply this also to not just your home, but um, when you're on vacation, you know, the hotel room you're in, or when you're traveling, when you're sitting at a restaurant. If you have a bad feeling, if you don't like the situation you're in, or you feel like it's not going to go well, address it right away. And then people say, oh, Buck, you're the grumpy old man. I am the guy at a restaurant who I'm always very polite to everybody, but I'll ask the host or hostess, can we, uh, is, that table looks free, can we do that one? Because it never gets better. When your situation is not to your liking, if you, look, sometimes you got no choice. Sometimes there's three feet of snow on the ground outside, it's the only restaurant in town, and like, you're just happy to have a seat. I get it. But follow your instincts when it comes to these things and that little voice that's telling and i'm trying to remind myself of this as i'm looking at apartments because you don't really get to know because you never get to sleep in the place before you actually sign on the dotted lines you don't really know what you're in for yet you know you don't really know if this is gonna work out to what your hopes and dreams are for this place and uh i'm just i'm telling you it's Man, I never, I'll never forget that day. What were the chances of all? It's not even just that these, this, this family, the parents were so rude. They were so mean. They always treated me like I was the help. Like, you know, I was, I was in their way. Like I was the butler that didn't know his place. Uh, and I only interacted with them outside the house. I was never, never saw them really inside the house. Uh, but the fact that they moved in the first day that I, like, what are the chances? What are the chances of that? You know, I couldn't, I couldn't even have a week to enjoy this. Oh, and of course I sent the email. You didn't tell me. He goes, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know they were moving in either. There must have been a miscommunication, right? You know, I took over his, his agreement, basically. So he just wanted to get out. So I had been not really swindled, but uh, let's just say I had been led astray. I think that's a fair way to put it. I had been led astray. So I, I'm, sometimes I come here and I, I feel like I'm telling you stuff that it's just information or hopefully it's fun or it's entertaining or we're just hanging out together. This is lessons for life. Do not ignore that voice in your head when you're looking at homes, you know, before you buy that place, before you take on a mortgage, before you sign that lease. If it feels funky, really think about it, you know, really cuz and you know the difference too. There's like, "Oh my gosh, this is a big decision." And then there's there's something wrong with this decision. I'm not feeling good about this decision. Do not suppress that voice. Otherwise, you'll end up like me with no money, 
living above a trash compactor and then moving to the loudest, meanest house of snottiest, rudest people on the planet when you thought you'd have it all to yourself. See? Important safety tip, everybody. Uh, We'll take a quick one. I'll be uh, right back. But before I go, Nine Line Apparel, my friends, that's our sponsor this half hour. Nine Line is veteran-owned and operated. Right now, I'm actually wearing a Nine Line Apparel t-shirt. It says 22 for 22 veterans who lose their lives each day to suicide. On it, it says Veteran Lives Matter. I am wearing this t-shirt because I believe in the messaging. I believe in what Nine Line Apparel is doing. They have really comfortable, excellent gear with powerful and important patriotic, all-American messaging on it. You need to check it out for yourself and see. Please go to NineLineApparel.com. Use that coupon code BUCK20 to give you 20% off your next order. That's NineLineApparel.com. Coupon code BUCK20. That's for 20% off. NineLineApparel.com. Coupon code BUCK20. Check them out, and you will see that this will be your favorite gear company. If you want the truth about Russia and possible collusion, I just would like the truth and facts to be respected again in this country. The idea that, yeah, I mean, we're in a period now where the president can just go on Twitter and say, I'm bringing these three hostages back. And and by the way, kudos to him, three hostages back. Uh, You know, the Obama administration tried to get them. They failed. But, you know, I I did it. It's a two way street, Jake. Mr. Tapper there over at uh, CNN. Sounding quite a bit sanctimonious, I think. Oh, yes. No, it's the the, the truth now more than ever before is is under assault. This is a line that you hear a lot from the media. And he immediately pivots to the president, right? It'd be one thing if he was willing to say that there's a lot of mistruth and half-truth on all sides. But um, it, it always turns into, I want the truth to matter. President Trump is the problem. That seems a bit facile, doesn't it? A little, little too easy to just make that switch all the time. Especially when, as I explained to you yesterday, this was one of the worst weeks for media lies we've seen in a very long time. Just just remind everybody, they pretended that the president of the United States called immigrants animals. That he just called them animals, like they're not real people. They And I don't mean like one or two people. I mean, that was echo chamber effect, mainstream media, CNN jake tapper's news organization part of it does that does that matter oh and cnn appended some little oh from the that they originally put it out in their official twitter account and then they put out some oh well from the context blah blah no no they should have deleted and corrected their initial tweet actually scratch that they should have never gotten it so wrong in the first place this is what they were saying yesterday play six What did the president mean when he said some immigrants are not people, they're animals? The president of the United States saying these are not people, they are animals. It is a disgusting way to talk about human beings. There's a very slippery slope when you start dehumanizing people this way. It's what the Nazis did. It's what slave owners did. It's not what Americans do. The tone has shifted about what it means about you if you're an illegal immigrant. So so we got people lecturing us about how the Nazis and slaveholders used to dehumanize people, all based on a completely false comment. But you get, you know, Tapper gets to go on Colbert and get a round of applause for saying the truth should matter. Anna Navarro, who was the person who made the Nazi slaveholders comment, she is a a uh, a, a top tier CNN commentator. 
What her knowledge is, I have no idea. She seems to play a character on TV and trash the president without having any knowledge or background to bring to a discussion that's worth anyone's time. But she is treated with reverence at CNN. I mean, she is, and, and I know, I speak of what I know. You know who else used to be treated with reverence at CNN? Donna Brazil. And then she decided to give Hillary questions from the network, and even CNN couldn't really defend that one. Couldn't really, uh, you know, helping someone cheat in a presidential debate against Bernie, by the way. So unfair. They were all just stacking the deck. They were stacking the deck, Bern. They were. Uh, but this is the thing. I, I've seen who these people are. I know how they operate. I know how uh, slimy and disingenuous and intellectually incurious they are, by the way. Another big part of this, too. Uh, they're just like actors. But they go on TV and they're actors that just want the truth. Oh, we just want the truth. This is one of the worst weeks, as I said, for media truth that I've seen in a very long time. One of the very worst. I mean, it was fa- it was fake news. It was straight up fake news. When will they admit that? When will we hear from the other side that, yeah, you know what? That was such an egregious mistake and so obviously dishonest and and just flat out inexcusable that the fake news label right now feels like it stings a little more than it would other times. When will they admit that? The answer is they won't. They're going to act like uh, they're going to act like there's you know nothing really to see here. It's just the cost of doing business. Another another day in the life of being a journalist. You know, I just this whole thing about how the truth doesn't matter anymore. The same people that were telling us that Bill Clinton blatantly lying under oath. I mean, as straight up a lie as on a matter that actually had to do with the case at hand. Right? It was about sexual harassment. Uh, that blatantly lying under oath is fine because he was Bill Clinton. We remember this. I remember this. I was a young guy at the time, but I haven't forgotten. So this whole, it's just sanctimony. Oh, the truth. We just want the truth. Really, guys? How about this? If you want the truth at CNN, why don't you start by admitting that you are a Democrat run, led, and completely ideologically aligned operation. That you are effectively, CNN is effectively, has become a wing of the DNC that it does not have any conservatives who have any voice in the current Trump conservative movement of note, not that I'm aware of at least, and that it's a joke. Just be honest about it. Be MSNBC. Compete straight up with MSNBC as their counterparty on the left instead of pretending you're the gold standard for truth in journalism. It's just a big pile of steamy goose crap, and we all know it. So no, no more lectures about the truth from some of those journalists. That would be nice. That would be preferable. we got a lot of roll call coming up. Double roll call segments. So stay with me for that. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for roll call. I need kind of I need a kind of an upbeat roll call, man. It's 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 just been a tough Friday, folks. I, I wish I could say otherwise, but we at the worst weather. I I actually brought Miss Molly down this weekend to CDC. She hasn't been here in the swamp in the District of Columbia since she was uh, in like junior high, 
And the weekend I bring her down, it's the worst weather you could get this time of year in D.C. imaginable. I mean, it's like a monsoon outside. The, the, the water is coming in sideways. Remember in Forrest Gump when he talks about how the water's coming up from below and from the side and from above? It's like that. I know, I'm whining right now. But, you know, you guys are my, my nationwide family. So sometimes I whine to family. It, it's just not, you know. And then obviously all the stuff we've been talking about the news. Such a uh, depressing day in the news cycle. I, my favorite Fridays are when I show up here and there's really nothing to talk about. So I can talk to you about anything. You know, I actually prefer that because I feel like we can get into the vibe quite a bit more than, oh, by the way, I'm doing two roll call segments here. So I don't think that we're going to get uh, skimpy on the roll call. I'm just, just sharing some thoughts with you here. You know, D.C. is not a magical place when it is 60 degrees and blowing, uh, blowing rain in your face everywhere. And it's been like that for days, by the way. Okay, I'm going to stop whining. I'm going to stop whining. Oh, by the way, later on, I'm supposed to be on... Um, uh, Laura Ingram show with my buddy Pete Hegseth guest hosting uh, during the 10 p.m. Eastern hour on Fox. I'd say around 1030. I'll probably pop up on the screen. And then also I'll be on um, uh, Shannon Bream show. I think right around the top. Shannon's great. Pete's great, too. Shannon's Shannon's just great. So, uh, yeah, I'll be doing some Fox later. And then I plan on hibernating for the weekend and just Netflix Netflix and chill. And by that, I mean actually chilling out. All right. Gosh, and I, th- there needs to be a better way to better way to say these things. OK, here we go. Um, Michael writes, drinking my first cup of Black Rifle coffee can taste that buck one five discount. Well, Michael, you're a scholar and a gentleman. Thank you, sir. I hope you're enjoying your coffee. And uh, that 15 percent off is certainly a, a nice little added incentive. I really do hope every single person listening to the show subscribes to Black Rifle Coffee, uses that coupon code. If we could do that, by the way, then I'd be able to do all kind. You know, I'd be able to bring back Shields High sooner and everything. So please help out my my wonderful sponsor, Black Rifle, and me um, by checking them out. The coffee is delicious. I like. I I don't do I don't do bad products here on the show. If I talk to you about a product, it's a product that I like, support, and I know all the people behind the company. I know the CEOs. The, the companies that I actually do reads for on this show, I have a majority of their CEOs on my personal cell phone and reach out to them. What anyway? You get what I'm saying? Just putting it out there. Um, I'm in a mood today. What can I tell you? But you guys always make me feel better, you know. And and producer Mike and uh, producer John, you know, John and I are both are both feeling a little under the weather, and I mean that in the feeling not great, not in the sense of it's raining. So it's one of those things. All right, next, Glenn. And I'm rambling. I'm rambling. Glenn, podcast listener here, baby. I cannot say how much I appreciate uh, your willingness to look at more than one side of an issue. With, in regards to Starbucks in L.A. with a gentleman named Peter, I will also note that Peter and, quote, Beaner rhyme and could potentially have been misheard and miswritten, especially if there was a different minority as in your example, writing the name. It seems extremely sad that people jump to racial stuff so quickly. Anyway, thanks again, and Shields High. Well, thank you, Glenn. And that's exactly what I was going for there. Uh, Look, nobody should ever be insulted as a customer in any business, and certainly not on any racial grounds. But, you know, the guy's name wasn't like Sir Winthrop III, and somebody wrote Beaner on the cup. Peter and Beaner are close enough that I think it's, could it have been an error? Now, I, I would also put out this possibility to you. I don't know. And by the way, they've moved on from the story very quickly. 
We don't get to know about the person who wrote it. We don't get to know very much at all. Is it maybe also possible that, you know, the person misheard it but thought, okay, maybe this guy's making a joke or something, and I'll just write what his, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I went up to the cup and I wrote, you know, or if I told them my nickname was, you know, Ben Dover, they probably would just write it on the cup and be like, well, whatever, right? That's the guy. That's what the guy says his name is. So I'm just saying it's a it's a possible miscommunication because when you always look at motive when you're trying to understand human interaction, what motive would a Starbucks barista possibly have in this environment to write something so incredibly offensive on a cup like that? I just I don't see it. I don't see the motive. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I'm just it doesn't make any sense. But then again, people are idiots and they're rude. So we don't know. I just like to ask the questions uh let's go next to ken who writes hello from the great state of little mogadishu have you ever heard of mpr aka minnesota public radio they should be called spr for socialist propaganda radio they are the mirror opposite of the freedom hut well that sounds terrible also have you ever considered getting a jack russell terrier we had to let ours go to doggo heaven last weekend and miss him a lot. Oh, man, Ken, I'm sorry. I, I remember we lost my... Uh, I, I get sad even just thinking about it. I remember we lost my family dog. Uh, it was a Boston Terrier. And I just... Uh, I remember being in the office at the NYPD and one of the old, like, real crusty sergeants coming over like, heard your dog died. And I'm like, yeah, man. You know, he's like... It's like, whatever time you need to take today, you take that time. Don't worry about it. I would have cried too. And I was like, that was nice, you know? He got it. He understood. The dogs, uh, they're amazing little fellows, man. They're amazing little spirits. You know, they, they're they uh, one of those fun additives in life. It's one of those sweeteners for our day-to-day. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Now, but he writes, they are a bundle of energy and definitely not a lap dog. He played with his soccer ball to his very last day, shields high. Well, Ken, sounds like a great pup. And, you know, pups make life just a little more worth living, if you know what I mean. It's, uh, you know, on, on some really rough days, being able to have, you know, I've, I've never really had one of my own. I've only had a family dog. So I lived in a house, obviously, as a teenager and through college with our dog. But, um, you know, I, I've got a few things here. You know, got got to make an honest woman out of Miss Molly, if you know what I mean. Got to got to get the whole house thing going. Got to get the dog. It's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, it's all you know. It's all gonna happen. But just, I got some things to take care of in the meantime. Uh, Kent, next up here. Perhaps you can add a Shields High episode on recent history. I would love to hear a selected reading from What Happened. Your last Saturday Blaze podcast was my favorite episode. That makes me OSS. Shields high, and please consider a tour broadcasting from local studios throughout flyover country. We would love to have you. Well, Ken, I would love to see all of you. I really mean this. I, I tell people all the time. I mean, yeah, technically I work for some different companies with wonderful leadership, but I say, you know, I, I work for the audience. I work for all of you. If what I'm doing day in and day out is in any way... Uh, entertaining, enlightening, useful, enjoyable for your life, then I'm succeeding. You know, if, if the Freedom Hut is a place you know you can check in every day whenever you want, live or on demand, and that that helps that helps out a little bit, I'm 
I'm happy. I would love to do some local stuff across the country. I have already talked to, I mean, I, I will tell you that it, Austin is going to happen because I've already spoken uh, to the folks that make those decisions at, at Premier, my, my syndicator on radio. And I've said, look, I, I got to get down to Austin, Texas. So we'll do something uh, with, with our affiliate there, KLBJ, great station. And we're going to probably do barbecue somewhere in the, you know, right in Austin. And I think we'll just keep it like, maybe I'll do the show, you know, we'll set up to do a show. Remote can be kind of hard, but uh, at a minimum, we'll just show up and be like, hey, team, like, we'll all, I'll be there. I'll drink some tequila, eat some barbecue, and hang out for the for a couple hours with the folks, you know. Everyone who can come chill, we'll take photos, we'll exchange jokes and talk about things. I know, as you can tell, I've really got every detail worked out, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's, it's, that's probably this fall is honestly when that's going to happen. And I'd love to get to some other places, too, but I've got uh, the Buckman's got a full plate. Speaking of full plates, I want to do more roll call. I'm going to try to keep it lean and mean on the roll call side. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton uh, right after this quick uh, commercial interlude with some of our wonderful sponsors. I'll come back and more of your thoughts. Stay with me. Hey. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Look, the dubstep gets me a little fired up. You know, a little little bit of, a, of an uplift for the weekend. Rainy, soggy, whack weekend. I, you know, maybe I should bring back some of the 90s slang that I grew up saying. We used to say things were whack and dope and... And we never really said PHAT fat. That was for that people said that for like six months. That did not last long. I know all the kids now say lit. Like, oh, it's gonna be lit. I like that. That works. All right, roll call. Here we go. Uh Zvi writes, Oh gosh, quite a quite a book here. Uh Buck, I listen to you often here in Jerusalem. Well, Team Buck Israel, high five. I agree with most of what you had to say. But when you said that Tom Seg- uh, Segev and Tom Friedman were good sources on the Middle East, I scratched my head. Friedman, he of Arab Spring fame, knows nothing about Arab culture and politics. Otherwise, he would not have uttered the idiot phrase Arab Spring. Segev is way left wing and also does not have a clue about our enemies. You probably should be reading Bernard. I know Bernard Lewis. That's that was the right answer. He writes that in here. I'll get to that in a second. Bernard Lewis, who, though politically correct to a fault, will tell you that Arabs have never peacefully uh, coexisted with any other religion for the past 1,400 years, and they sure as hell will not start with the Jews. Uh, Try a site called Memory, run by a guy who's in your, uh, who was a Israeli. Um, Don't want to load you up with detail, but there's plenty more out there. You can give a more realistic outlook. Shields high. Zvi, guilty as charged on. I know. I know. Segev is a left wing guy. I was just trying to think of. Somebody who could give uh, some good overview of, of the history. Uh, but, you know, I, yes, One Palestine Complete was the book that I was uh, thinking of. Uh, also, he wrote, he's written a book on 19, uh, 1967. Uh, it's uh, Israel, the war, and the year that transformed the Middle East. Just pulled it up here. Uh, Friedman's book from Beirut to Jerusalem. Look, Friedman is is clownish on a lot of things. No question about it. But from Beirut to Jerusalem is a good primer. It's very readable on some of the troubles, more recent troubles in the Mideast, uh, obviously in Beirut and Jerusalem, just because of his proximity to those 
well, he was in those two cities as the uh, bureau chief of the New York Times. Um, but yeah, obviously, the, the mo- if you want a less left-wing point of view, no question. I, I love um, Bernard Lewis's book on the uh, assassins, for example. Really, really good read. Uh, Bernard Lewis is the... Yes, that would have been a better answer. I, I, so I agree with Zvi. There's not a lot of... You know, Steve Cole does good stuff on at least Afghanistan. Uh, he's got Ghost Wars and Directorate S are his two books that are out now. Uh, on Afghanistan, really, really good reads. I can highly recommend both of them. And I also should have uh, thrown in there Power, Faith, and Fantasy, which is a book by Michael Oren about the kind of American uh, American discovery and exploration of the Mideast. So Power, Faith, and Fantasy, anything by Bernard Lewis. Zvi is right. I kind of got caught giving you some of the left. I read left-wing stuff, too. But uh, I think I'm glad we got to correct the record there. And uh, Zvi, good to hear from you in Israel, my friend. Uh, next up here, Garrett, who writes, excellent pundit coverage on Fox this AM regarding Santa Fe High School. Good tactical and sound counsel for a layperson to understand the situation. Thank you, Garrett. Um, Fox called me, and I, I was you know, reading on my phone. I was waiting for an appointment, and I, I literally had to find a an empty office and just had to ask somebody nearby, Hey, can I pop into this office that no one's in? And I don't work here. And they let me, and I, I did the call in there. So uh, I hope it was uh, useful for those listening. Uh, David next up here. Hey Buck, I agree. The Starbuck, uh, the Starbucks story is big, but in my opinion, it's time that, uh, to move on. There are far bigger stories. Your core listeners want your insight on. Uh, just keeping you honest and objective. It's what separates you from the rest of the talk shows. The podcast is fantastic. Well, David, thank you. You know, I I have a tough one here sometimes because I like to do stories that aren't just the biggest because by the time all of you get to hear me, like I said, live or on the podcast, you know, it's the news. People have already had all these news shows and everything. So it's an advantage and a disadvantage. The advantage is I have more time to think, research, and pull together a show than other people. The disadvantage is you've already heard them. Blah, here's the big headline, right? So I try to get a good mix going. I appreciate you keeping me honest, and thank you very much for the uh, for the note. Um, next up here, Will writes, oh, here we go. Regarding judicial appointments, the most ridiculous tradition is the blue slip process where senators from states can decide to return a judicial nominee's name or decide not to if they don't want to be appointed. Hugh Hewitt hammered Mitch McConnell about this on an interview with him recently. Hugh Hewitt believes it's a ridiculous tradition uh, that it's unconstitutional and should be done away with. I agree with him, but McConnell says he's not willing to go there because they still have to work with the Democrats on uh, certain legislation. And then also, Will just throws in here, soy latte for barf. Um, Yeah, soy is gross, dude. I remember uh, speaking to a, it's actually on a, long time ago on a date with a lady scientist and she told me that soy is what they feed cows in japan to like make them particularly fat and to raise i think their estrogen levels so i was like you know what i'm gonna lay off i'm gonna lay off the soy i don't i don't mean i don't need my latte to be giving me man boobs you know i don't need that so i decided to uh, back off of it of course i say that my voice breaks a little bit it's been a long day team been a long day i gotta run out of here and go do fox right after this a couple of fox shows Oof, man, craziness. Um, John 
writes, uh, uh uh-oh, big one. Buck, your show is the best on radio today, hands down. Uh, Several months ago, you told us of an aide of Hillary's that set up a fact-check website and had to take it down. Uh, What was the name of that site? I tried to find it on Google. You know, I don't know, John, uh, but I'll read the rest of this note you sent me. Everybody, have a great weekend. Hopefully you got better weather than I do, but excited to be with you every day next week. Until then, shield high.